the thing that I learned is not to fall in love with your products and services, to fall in love mm. with your audience. If you fall in love with your audience and you keep listening to them, which I didn't do, and now I'll never make that mistake again, it doesn't matter. Your products and services always change. I mean, right. look at any successful company out there. The products and services always change. They keep the same customers. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Thank you for joining us once again, listeners, and we are excited today to let you know about our guest. Today, we have the man who's known as the godfather of content marketing, Joe Polizzi, on our show. Joe started Content Marketing Institute back in 2007 and later started Content Marketing World. These have become the leading education and training organizations for content marketing, as well as the largest in-person content marketing event in the world. There are a few people in the content marketing world that haven't heard about Joe, and today we get to pick his brain for almost an hour. Joe will share with us what it's like after selling his business that he built for nine years. We talk about why it might be a bad idea to fall in love with your product and services. Joe shares about how he would build a community in today's world and some practical tips about being a seven-figure location independent entrepreneur. It's an incredible episode, you guys. And without further ado, let's welcome Joe to the show. Welcome, Joe, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm really glad to have you on the show. And I'm in Barcelona, but I hear you're going to be in Barcelona on vacation in four days. So I'm excited for you to get to taste Barcelona, but I'm sure you're excited about your trip as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. So I started, uh, you know, my first company in 2007 and I've never been offline. So this will be, so this is our family vacation. I've got two, two boys, two teenagers, Uh and this is the first time we've ever taken a vacation where we'll go completely offline. And I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am about (laughs) that. So there you go. I think it may change, it might change your life actually. So here's a good question before we dive into the meat of the show. If you're never offline, you know, and you've got quite a reputation for yourself, if you're never offline, how would you say you balance your life with family and personal hobbies and and work? I think you have to set, you know, you probably, I mean, you talk to entrepreneurs all the time. There's some that say they're always on. There's some that say they set particular times where they are on versus off. And I used to be an always on. Like mm-hmm. I'd be checking Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and doing the whole thing and emails all times of the day. And then I that was unhealthy for my family relationships. And and I and one of the reasons why I became an entrepreneur was because <laughs> I wanted to actually have more time <laughs> with my kids. I used to be I used to have a, a pretty senior level executive job and I was traveling all over the place. And I, I remember going in and going into my boss at the time and saying, Hey, I I want to spend more time with my family. I'm going to leave and start this company. Little did you <laughs> did I know that I'd be spending a thousand more times on the business, my own mm-hmm. business. And so I would say probably it was about 2011, 2012. So started in 07, where I started to set. Look at I'm, I'm on Saturdays. I'm off. 
which is what I've tried to do pretty much is not check much on Saturdays at all. And once I get to a certain time of night uh, to be offline, although I do a lot of writing and some of that writing does happen at night. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten much better. And then and now um, I think I've got a fairly healthy uh, like where, you know, like last night I'm coaching baseball and I'm completely offline and and, uh, very, very a lot less time. Uh, interacting with social media and things like that to 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 really focus on what's important in life and uh, and I'm looking forward to sort of the next chapter of of my life spending more time with the family before they go off to you know the kids go out to university. These days, would you say, Joe, like how many hours a week are you working? It's different because I mean I'm sure we can get into this if you want to, but we had a very successful exit in June of 2016. So up to that point. Um, I was, you know, probably working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, um, on and off depending on, mm-hmm. and now I'm, I, you know, now I'm probably working a good solid four to five hours a day on stuff, on newsletters, on blog posts, on, I do, I still do a lot of speaking. So I do a lot of travel all over the world and do speaking. So it depends on how you look at what work is, yeah. uh, from that standpoint, but a lot less time and a lot more time thinking, reading, um, I do a lot more reading than I ever used to before, and and that's where I get a lot of new ideas for writing. So that's I'm thankful to have that time to maybe think more strategically about my life, let alone the business. So your vacation, you're going to be completely just offline, nada. And how many days is your vacation? So we are going on. A, let's see. Overall, the trip is eight days, but I'll be gone for ten days. So nice. we've got wonderful people at Content Marketing Institute that'll be taking <laughs> care of everything, and I don't have to worry. But that's the one. That's the difference, right? I mean, you talk to people that are just getting started. It's just them. Uh-huh. So when I started in '07, it was just me, and then it was my wife and I, and then in you know by 2015 we had 26 people. And you've got a really amazing group that can take care of everything. And, and I've slowly been trying to figure out how do I uh, exit myself out of this business so I'm not needed anymore. That was It's probably been like a five-year transition of trying to do that. And now we've gotten to a place where I'm not needed for the business to be successful, which is a wonderful feeling. And you, see, and then you get a lot of uh, people that are taking responsibility for new things. And I love to see that kind of leadership growth. Yeah, that sounds really good. Joe, I want to talk more about that, but let's rewind a little bit because I know you have quite a cool story. So what we do generally on the podcast is just kind of give you the mic and let you tell your backstory so we can learn about where you come from, um, how you got into moving from a high-paid employee to starting your own business and then becoming the Actually, I've heard people say that you're, quote, unquote, the godfather of content marketing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know if you claim that title. It's or sort not. of. No, it sort of stuck. It, mm-hmm. uh, I think it happened on Twitter like back in 2011, and it stuck. And now every speech that I come <laughs> out for, there's, it's the godfather of content marketing, <laughs> Joe Polizzi. And I feel like I should come out sort of like, uh, you know, mixture between the godfather and James Brown. But yeah, <laughs> whatever. I. I lean into that. I lean into it all the way. That's it, good. It, it, whatever. Yeah. And so, and somebody told me this too that you coined the term content marketing. Is that right? 
You know, it's a, I don't take credit for coining the term because uh-huh. if you go back into the 90s, there's some very smart people that you put content and marketing together in blog posts and books. Uh-huh. Uh, what I probably it probably is my fault is helping to popularize the term. Okay. I started using that term in 2001. We really went all in with it in 2007. Nobody was using that term until and then 2010, it sort of became the de facto term for the industry. So, yeah, it's probably my fault that people are using content marketing. Yeah. But I did not. I, I don't take credit for coining the term because people you know, used that before, but maybe weren't serious about this is what the industry is. This is what we're doing. It's content marketing. It's too bad you, you didn't uh, trademark that term. Before it became yeah, I've had a lot of people say that to me, <laughs> but you know what? I love the fact the fact that the industry is growing and it is it is actually a, a industry that you know if you go to Advertising Age and you go to some of the other publications, they actually call it content marketing. It is actually a thing, mm-hmm. and I laugh every time I see that. Like I just think, <laughs> I mean, when I was out there, call it there, people were looking at me like I had three heads, and I'm <laughs> saying this thing is content marketing, and nobody called it that. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so I I just think it's hilarious that uh, little old me with no resources or anything could could help define that. But a lot of smart people in this industry, as you know, we were talking beforehand, and uh, I'm just happy to see that there are more marketers and entrepreneurs that are saying, look, this is the way we can go to market. This is the way we can be successful and we can create value for our customers and our business at the same time. Yeah. Joe, so let's hear about those good old days when you were starting out with, well, not nothing, but you were just starting out and getting out on your toes. I'd love to hear that. Well, yeah. I mean, so it's, I'd always wanted to start a business in 2004, 2005. I had a notebook with me at all times where I would jot business ideas and wanted to probably really by 2005 2006 is when I really started to get antsy Uh, I was um, a vice president at Penton Media large business to business media company at the time Uh, and but I was talking to my wife about starting a business and she basically got sick of me talking about starting the business the whole time and said are you going to do something like either stop talking about it or or do it Mm -hmm. So we decided and we set a date. It was the end of March 2007. And so this was six months previous to that. And I said, okay, by then I'll I'll have made the decision and left. And that was my last day at Penton Media. It's the last day of March and started the business, what became Content Marketing Institute, April 2nd, 2007. So, you know, sort of set that date because there's, you know, you always think, is there a better time? I my kids were three and five at the time, so you know my wife didn't work. I'm like, okay, this is really smart. Let's <laughs> you know mm-hmm. make it make it six figures, good benefits. Let's just drop it all <laughs> and start this stupid, crazy idea that I had. And the idea was actually to be the eHarmony for content marketing. That right. was my idea. <laughs> so we went out there. We started a little Web 2.0 company, and and uh, we were trying to attract brands that needed content creation services, blog services, wanted to do custom magazines, and we were going to match them up with agencies and freelancers that provided those services. And we started that. 2008 is when it really got going. And by the end of 2009, we'd matched up about a thousand companies and we we did some multi-million dollar deals. Not that we got multi-millions of dollars, but we matched up for other agencies and we were bleeding cash. Mm-hmm. The, the the idea, I thought, was maybe a little bit ahead, ahead of its time because there's actually <laughs> quite a few companies that are doing this today, but the financial model was terrible, 
And so by September of 2009, I'm looking for a job, actually. Oh. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a, this thing's not going to work. Um, I've, I've got no more money left. We're already in debt. What am I going to do? And realized, basically, that I fell in love with this model, this matching model so much I forgot to listen to the customers that we were attracting through the blog and through the other through the book that I wrote and some other things. And what I realized is only about maybe maybe a half a percent, one percent of our audience at any one time actually could use the product we had. We're actually interested in outsourcing uh, for content. And well, <laughs> I didn't listen to them, what they were asking for in, in the social media that I was hearing and in the emails that I had to wake myself up to. They wanted training. They wanted education. They were asking for products from us that, that I was, was not offering in any way. So finally, uh, after that wake-up call at the end of 2009, I said, okay, well, if that's true and I've been blind to this opportunity and we built the audience but just weren't offering the right products and services, did the complete pivot said, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I wrote this down on a cocktail napkin, I remember. I can't find it. I wish I could find it. <laughs> but I wrote it down on a cocktail napkin because obviously I was drinking heavily at the time. Because I, was, <laughs> I was massively depressed because I had to go get it. Any entrepreneur that knows that you start your journey and then you got to go back and get a real job, it's depressing. Yeah. It's, it's like the worst. You feel like your life is over. But I wrote down on this napkin, I said, we are going to launch the go-to online destination for content marketing. We're going to launch the largest event in the content marketing space, and we are going to la launch the uh, uh, the leading magazine in the industry. And started that revolution then in May of 2010, launched contentmarketinginstitute.com. In January of 2011, launched Chief Content Officer Magazine. And in September of 2011, launched Content Marketing World. And I'm happy to say that about Two years after that point, all three of those things came true. It became the largest event. It was the leading online destination for training and the, the leading magazine in the industry. And still is today. Those those three things are true today. And all my dreams came true. <laughs> That's basically, uh, you know, fast forward today. I mean, lots of hard work, lots of struggles. But the thing that I learned that I maybe I could share with your listeners is not to fall in love with your products and services, to fall in love mm. with your audience. If you fall in love with your audience and you keep listening to them, which I didn't do, and now I'll never make that mistake again, it doesn't matter. Your products and services always change. I mean, right. look at any successful company out there. The products and services always change. They keep the same customers. So we focused on marketers. Our, our audience was marketing professionals at larger companies, and we just kept listening to them, kept talking to them, kept taking that feedback, and that's how all of our products and services have evolved. We have by 15, 16 different revenue lines that come into the business now, and it's all revolved around what they want, what they're willing to buy, but what hasn't changed is we deliver valuable, relevant, compelling information to that audience on a consistent basis, and that set us up, as I mentioned before, in June 2016, we, Content Marketing Institute, sold to UBM. UBM is a large London-based company, one of the largest events companies in the world, and uh Happily ever after, here we are, uh, and just I mean, you know, enjoyed the ride. So basically, nine years as an entrepreneur before we had had the exit, but it was um, it was in doubt for a long time. I didn't think we were going to get here, but uh, but we made it. Joe, that's an incredible story, and I, I I'm really fond of it because I actually your 
the way that you built your business and sold it is actually what I want to do as a vision that I want to do. So I'm very fond and I'm, I'm glad you shared that story because it's very inspirational. I do want to ask you as an entrepreneur and knowing a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of us, myself included, f- do fall in love with our products or our services. And so you mentioned a lot of suggestions on how to be aware if the clients or customers are asking for something different or suggesting for something different. I'd like to ask you, is there any any way that us entrepreneurs can recognize when we're being too stubborn um, or any other ways besides just the clients or customers requesting something else, when we're being too stubborn and holding on to that product or that service too much? Well, that's a, but that could be a whole, we could talk about that forever. I think that the, the telltale sign might be that revenue is a struggle. Yeah. Um, if you and then this is why I wrote I wrote a book called Content Inc. in 2015, which basically was our model and how we went to market. And I talked about you know, a number of other amazing uh, entrepreneurs that basically started by building an audience first, mm-hmm. and then once you build an audience that know, knows, likes, and trusts you, then you can generate all kinds of revenue opportunities. So for us, so, so let me go back to that point in 2009, 2010. It, revenue was a struggle. Now, building an audience was not. We were built a fairly uh, engaged audience, but they weren't buying anything. It should be, if you buy, if you build a loyal audience, it, they'll they'll buy whatever you offer them. If they know, like, and trust you, they'll buy whatever you have. Right. And we were we were putting out things. Oh, here's an audience that really know, they really rely on us. So our traffic is going up, our shares are going up, our email subscribers are going up, but yet our revenue is going down. What's the problem here? Well, that's a product issue. Yeah. So that's what I would look for is, I mean, if you're selling like hotcakes, great. Don't even worry about it. You don't have this problem. But if you are struggling to get a revenue from either the sponsor side or whatever products and services you're selling, that that's an issue. That's why if I was going to start a business today, I would not even worry about the product. And I know it's hard to say this. <laughs> people are listening like, come on, Joe, be, get, get real. But, but the way that I would do it is focus on the audience that you're trying to target. I know you have that product or service in your head, but focus on that audience and then become the leading expert in something for that audience. Mm. So I don't know what your, I would call it a content tilt or what your mission is for your audience, but how can you, to let's say the entrepreneurs you're talking to, how, how are you the leading expert over something to them? Like for us, it was all about advancing the practice of content marketing and we were trying to do that better than anyone for our particular audience of marketing executives. Um, if you're creating content out there, if you're building an audience, if you're talking to customers just like five to 10 to 20 other organizations, it's gonna be very hard to do this, if not impossible. But that's why pick it, pick an, a niche that you can cover better, you have the authority to cover better than anyone else or, or nobody's done it. So that's where it's an opportunity as an entrepreneur. You have a lot of big companies out there that Forget these small little niches that you can make millions of dollars in, but they just don't have time to cover. Right. I mean, that's what that's what happened to us. Like, why did why were we successful with content marketing world and all, all their stuff when there were huge multi million dollar companies that could have easily covered those areas because they didn't th- they didn't see the opportunity. They weren't close enough to the audience. Well, we were 
and that's where we have the opportunity. So I would con- so if you're if if you are struggling with your revenue in some way, then I would sit back, take a look, and then look at your interactions with your customers. Are they asking for other things? What are the problems there? What are their pain points? What's keeping them up at night? Because the pain points they're having, it might be not it might not be uh, a fit with the product and service that you're offering. So focus on what their pain points are. And then I would create a product or service that really talks to that. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever. Four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, advisors, high speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. Now, if you were building a community or a network within a niche, a very specific niche like you recommend um, today, what are some of the ways that you would recommend reaching out and growing that, that audience? The I only know one way, and when we did, when I went back and did the research for the book, um, talked to fifty or so entrepreneurs that that went from one, you know, their own initiative to building these multi-million-dollar businesses. They all did it the same way, so it's easy. They focused on one content type, first of all, one specific audience they're targeting, uh, and then with the content they created. It was basically created in a one content type, one platform consistently delivered over time. So that meant, what does that mean? One content type. Well, they instead of creating content as, oh, we're going to do a podcast over here. I'm going to do a video series over here. I'm going to do a print newsletter over here. They just focused on, is it audio? Is it textual? Or is it video content? Is it YouTube as my platform? Is it iTunes? Is it my blogger website? Do I consistently deliver, which means if you deliver a weekly podcast, you deliver that podcast the same time, same channel, just like you're, just like the television is always done or just like the newspaper is always done. And over time, so the case studies that we found, it takes about 12 months or more to monetize that. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and say, Joe, I love this idea. I'm going to create, here's the, the audience we're targeting and here's the, the niche that nobody's talking about. And I'm going to do a podcast for six months and see, I'm going to say, well, you, you might not have the results by six months. You might not be able to generate revenue from that. So we generally see 12 months or more. And that's when you can get to a point where you have a, what we call a minimum viable audience and you have enough where you can actually monetize that. So you got to be patient and all entrepreneurs need to be patient. You know, you, mm-hmm. you think you're going to hit your, your one year, your two year targets and you don't hit them until three to four years. It always happens that way. But that's what I would look at. So do that consistently. And where I see a lot of entrepreneurs breaking down is they do the video over here and the podcast and the blog, and it's all over the place. Well, if you, if we can learn this. Media companies have been doing this for 200 years. They focus on building one property on one content platform. They do it really well. They build an audience, and then they diversify and do all those other things. So you have to do one thing well, like you're doing your podcast. I started out with a blog. We just did the blog for 36 months. That's all we did. 
Wow. We didn't do anything else. We just built a blog. We had we built up to about 30,000 email subscribers from the blog and email newsletter combo. And then we diversified into, oh, we're going to do the magazine. Then we're going to do the event. Then we're going to do the podcast and all those other things that regular media companies do. So that's what I would focus on. Do one thing really, really well. Build your audience. Focus on email subscribers. And then you'll have that opportunity. Where do you think content marketing's headed in the next five to ten years, Joe? Uh, well, it's interesting you ask that because I got a new book coming out. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Talking about exactly that thing. So, um, killing marketing. I wrote with um, my my good friend and podcaster Robert Rose. It's coming out in September, and the whole idea is the the marketing model for product and service companies versus media companies. It's the same. So if, you, if you're a media company and you've traditionally been focused on, oh, I'm going to sell subscriptions or advertising, well, that those models aren't working as well as they used to, For and we can go on and talk about that forever. But if you are a content, if you are a, a marketer that's doing some kind of content marketing, you're building a podcast, a blog, or whatever, you you can actually do more than just sell additional products and services. You can sell advertising, you can sell subscriptions, you know, the Red Bull Media House model, you've got Johnson & Johnson, you've got big B2B companies like Aero Electronics that are actually their marketing departments are profitable in and of themselves, which a lot of people don't realize. This is like, oh my gosh, these are whole groups within large companies that are actually generating revenue and profit from their audiences, like a media company does. So right. it's so, so that's what we're going to see. You'll perceive what the New York Times is doing different than what Google is doing, or maybe Google's a bad example because they're a little bit of everything. Let's say General Motors. You'll look at those and you'll say, "Very, I perceive those two companies as very different. But really, they're not. They're doing the exact same things. You just perceive it as different because you think a media company and that business model is different than what the marketing department of General Motors does. No, they're not. They're actually the business model behind it is the same. So that's where if you're an entrepreneur today, you have a huge opportunity because if you build an audience, you have 10 different ways to generate revenue. And most company, most entrepreneurs don't think about that. They think, oh, I'm going to build a blog and what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do is I'm going to sell more of my products. Well, yeah, you could, but you could also sell services from that. You could also uh, sell subscription revenue. You could sell sponsorship revenue and advertising revenue and you launch events off of that platform and on and on and on. So what I'm what I'm trying to get entrepreneurs out there to do is to not get so focused on that product that you sell and focus on, oh, here's the audience and what they need and what's possible. And that's how you can scale faster. And that's how you can grow into very large companies quickly, because you're not just beholden to this is how we're going to market in this little box, because the customers will tell you exactly what they're willing to buy. Uh, that makes sense. Joe, uh, what do you love about content marketing? Uh, I love the fact that you can that your marketing is seen as valuable <laughs> to an audience <laughs> okay. and not unwanted. So this is, I mean, so I'll take you back to 2000, 2001 when I first got into content marketing. So I started working at Penton and I was in, uh, we were doing content marketing projects for other companies. And what I fell in love with it over advertising and any kind of disruption is that if content marketing works, you have to d deliver value to the audience. Mm -hmm. So your marketing has to deliver value first to the audience. If it doesn't deliver value first to the audience, you'll never be able to monetize or extract that value. 
and sell more products and services, whatever you're trying to do. That's why I fell in love with it because you're just focusing on the audience's needs. It's the purest form of marketing in my opinion. It's like you and I getting together, we're friends, we're talking, I start to trust you and I'm gonna buy this, I'm gonna buy stuff from you because I trust you. It's the same thing going back you know, hundreds of years when we used to tell stories in order to build relationships human to human. It's not that much different. It's just we're doing it all different ways, electronically, print, whatever the case is. So I think that if you are going to market your products and services, the way you'd want to do it is through content marketing. You could do it a lot. You could do it through advertising. You could do it through disruptions. You can buy billboards and whatever you want to do. But the purest form, in my opinion, is to build an audience that actually likes you and wants to interact with you and won't see your information as spam and says, wow, this is incredibly value. I can't believe this company is giving me this. This is great value. How can I support this company? I want to buy their products and services. Whatever. That's what we're starting to see. And what a great opportunity that is. Didn't used to be that way. Hard to do this because if you were back in late 90s, you had to buy a content management system that cost you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars to do that. If you were going to, you know, today basically blogging is free, podcasting is, you know, the, the cost has come down so much. And you can actually reach an audience today because they have a smartphone device with them 24 7. They're going to ignore all the stuff they don't want in order to break through. You're going to have to create stuff they do want. So it's hard because you have to really focus on the audience, but it's also easier than it's ever been before to cut through all that clutter because there's so many people that do it wrong. What kind of business do you think you would have built if you didn't start building a content marketing business? Oh, boy, that is a tough one. <laughs> um, well, I would have probably focused it on what, what, you know, how could I build a business where I didn't have to go into an office? I'm big about it. We were a virtual <laughs> company. So I'm like, I don't want to be in a cube. I don't want to be in an office. I want to be, you know, in Barcelona doing a podcast <laughs> like you are. Those are the things that I want to be doing. And uh, and that's where the opportunities we have today. So if it wasn't around content marketing, it would still be around uh, being able to be mobile, setting my own schedule, um, being, being able to work and also be around the family uh, whenever I possibly could. So that I'm big right now about all the, the family thing. But um, it would it would it would be about products and services that aren't so hard to sell um and I, that's where i where i'll give you an example of why i have that stuck in my head because i used to sell lens i used to sell glasses mm -hmm. so it was one of the i used to go into a company called lens lab like a lens crafters i used to sell and put and, and basically we were incentivized to push these glasses that were really no different than the cheap form but I got paid more to, to sell these high-end ones that nobody wanted. And you just go home at the end of the day feeling horrible about yourself. Yeah, You're like, I'm pushing product that nobody really wants. And I think a lot of people are in jobs like that. They're like, they don't feel like they're adding value to the world, uh, that they're pushing product. And here's the thing. You don't have to do that anymore. So I would focus on something that is just inherently a wonderful product that people want to buy, but they never feel like they're being sold. Before you sold your business, Joe, would you categorize it as a location independent business? Oh yeah, absolutely. You could be anywhere anywhere in the world at any time because and that's the great thing about building an audience and monetizing that because there's no storefront. The storefront is the web. Yeah. So that's the great part about it. The storefront is iTunes. Uh the storefront is their 
blog reader, yeah. Facebook, depending on how they're getting their content. That's the it's the best model in the world for that. I mean, my I grew up in a in a uh, family of funeral directors, mm-hmm. so they had seven locations at one time. So their storefront were those seven locations. That's a lot of overhead. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things that have to happen for that business to go right, and that's where my biggest recommendation. And I I thought that was the case. I mean, when I launched. When I left big corporate world in 2007, I, the first thing I did was I started looking for space. Like I thought you had to do that. Oh, I have to go get an office somewhere. And thankfully, I realized that, oh, I don't. I could work out of this closet that I'm working in now. I don't need, I don't need, I can be anywhere and everywhere at one time. Nobody uh, needs to meet, clients don't need to meet with me. Or if I need to meet with them, I'll go to their office. And it's liberating and it's free. And it, by the way, it gives you the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes along the way, which you're going to make because you need every bit of cash you can instead of it going to rent and other things that are unnecessary. So as you're launching your business or getting into this, or maybe you look at your business right now, look at the things that are unnecessary. I know some entrepreneurs, really smart people right now, that they have office space that is silly, that mm-hmm. they have. They just and I say that's a line on on your P and L that expense sheet. Get rid of that. You mm-hmm. don't need that. Well, why set yourself up for failure? Get rid of all the things you don't need right now. Because what? Because you got an ego. Because you you need to tell somebody you're. I mean, we. we I still think it's funny. You type in. It's a little bit different now, maybe. But if you typed in where's Content Marketing Institute, you see my house. But but you know we worked with thirty of the Fortune one hundred. Nobody cares anymore. That's yeah. the beauty about it. Nobody cares. <laughs> they just want to work with smart people. They care about their business. And so that that's the opportunity. You probably don't know this because we haven't actually launched it, but we're interviewing 107-figure location independent entrepreneurs to get behind the minds and the science of that. And so I didn't actually know that your business was considered location independent, but we hadn't started it yet. So that's why I was still oh, going to do the interview. I'd like to ask you, did you start building the business with the intention of having that freedom and have zero office space? Like you knew you wanted that type of freedom when you were building from the point you were writing on that napkin? When, so in 2006, seven, when we were, when I was kicking around the idea for the matching service, I actually thought I had it in my head that there would be an office and it would be like a, you know, like a, Oh, it's an amazing Google office where yeah. nobody has cubes and those that, that I actually did envision that, that there would be uh, this, you know, downtown um, from Cleveland, Ohio, right? Downtown Cleveland, there would be the whatever ended up being CMI office tower or whatever. And you, you feel like that should be a thing that you go after. And then it probably took me two years to realize is that's the silliest thing and a business like ours doesn't need to do something like that. That's that was my ego getting in the way that I felt like we needed to have that. Um, there, uh, if there are very few, I mean, even look at finance today and how that's being disrupted. You go to New York and you see all these suits going into these big uh, financial office towers. I mm-hmm. really believe in twenty years that's going to come crashing down. With yeah. what's going on with cryptocurrency and things like that? Yeah. They just don't realize it. So I think that might as well get ready for the future right now. You can just work wherever you want to. For those of you that work in the corporate environment that are trying to get out, start to negotiate right now about working more out of the house or working wherever you can. Um, 
the only reason that it's not done more is because you've got corporate cultures that aren't set up to deal with that yet. Um, so that's 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 absolutely my take. I did not. I always thought that there would be an office, and then I realized, oh my gosh, the better model is that there's not because I can use the resources that I would normally spend on paying for the electric and and paying for the the rent or whatever on what are my audience's needs and how can I better fulfill those needs. And so it's just a better use of of corporate capital, in my opinion. Joe, what would you say the difference is between? a six-figure mentality and a seven-figure mentality for entrepreneurs? The one thing that I see a lot, when I, I do uh, I do educational sessions with entrepreneurs all the time, and what I've realized is, is that they a lot of them don't write down their goals, hmm. and, they do, and specifically their financial goals. So when I say, I said this about six months ago, it happened, I was talking to an entrepreneur, um, and I said, well, what is your financial goal? And I said, specifically, how much? And I said, well, I don't, I don't have one. I'm just trying to make it. I said, <laughs> if you need, I said, I want you to write, I want you to think about this week and write down how much you want to be worth. And I want you to review that every day. And I think that was the one of the game changers for me is that I have, I have a list of, um, in a, in a moleskin notebook, uh, what my financial goals are, career goals are, spiritual, financial, and I review those regularly. And I had a very lofty, multi-million-dollar goal that was set up, and I ha- and I was reviewing that when I was in debt. And you have to, and you do it present tense. Like I have, you know, I have X amount of money. I am worth X amount of money. And you have to start believing that. The more you believe that, the more you do things during the day to make those things happen. So that's, I think, the mentality difference between a six-figure and a seven-figure. You know what you're going toward. I want to hear from an entrepreneur that you plan on selling your company in three years for $50 million. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. How are we going to get there? Well, if I review that every day... I'm going to get less stuck in email and in things that don't matter to the business. And I'm going to be more focused on what's going to make my company worth 30, 40, 50, a hundred million dollars. And that's the mentality you have. That, that's a seven figure, eight figure mentality to me where you know exactly what you need. And then you do things during the day to get there. So I have another question about that and, and gaining that mentality. What would you say the, to the entrepreneur that does that? and keeps that habit and has done that for years, but always had the problem of reaching that goal. And we'll just say it's a friend of mine uh, (laughs) that sets that goal every year and then never, consistently never hits that. What would you tell them? Well, how often does your friend review those goals? Almost on a daily basis. Almost on a daily basis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, and how long has it been? Has it been over five years, let's say? Yeah. Okay, it's been over five years. Then at that point, I would probably say there's something that we're we're not doing to differentiate ourselves to create the the revenue opportunities. That's what I that and without knowing anything about it, Mm -hmm. that's what I would look at because that's what I seem to find more than anything else. So when I talk to entrepreneurs that are looking at what I would call a content ink model, and you're trying to basically build a media company. When they don't, um, when they're when they're creating their mission, they don't create a mission that 
sets themselves apart and differentiates themselves from a larger group. So that's what we've got to figure out. And we've also got to find on this on the the other side of it, if you do. So I want there's two things. One, are we setting some kind of differentiation? Are we telling a different story? If we did build an audience, can we monetize that? And I want to know, can we monetize it significantly? So let's just say that you were you, your friend was going to start an event of some kind mm-hmm. to monetize this. You'd say, okay, great. I can get, um, I have an audience. That audience is, you know, X percent of that audience will pay to go to that. And then on the other side, I look at, okay, well, who will sponsor it? I know to make an event work. I need to have 50% of this thing or more covered by sponsorship. Are people, are there companies out there sponsoring? This? Oh, yeah, there are or they're not. It's pretty easy to find out too. Uh, because you can go to, you know, Google pay per click, and you can start to see. Okay, under those keywords, you've got these companies. So, what rather than creating, and what a lot of entrepreneurs and I tried to as well, I tried to create a market. I tried to create this whole brand new market of with the product of this matching product instead of saying, oh, oh my gosh, okay, well, if I did this little niche around content marketing, there are already people spending a ton of money right here. It's basically the same thing. If I get them to just move a second, they're going to spend it in our industry. And so I said, okay, well, there's already a multi-billion dollar industry there. Just nobody knows it. They're just not uh, coordinating activities around that. Right. So I, so the two things I would look at is, one, really look at the mission of the company and the audience you're trying to build. And second, you have to, add, you have to be honest with yourself. If you did build the leading resource, the go-to place, can you monetize it? Mm. Is it a, is it is there money to be had there? So those are the two things that I would ask as I'm as I'm looking at those goals again. Great tips. I'll definitely tell my friend about these. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one, right? Yeah, because there's a lot of people that are really passionate about a certain area, and and, and I'm hey, I'm the first one that'll say follow your passion. Yeah. But sometimes you can't monetize your passion. It's so true. just you gotta you just gotta realize that. So Joe, one. Quick question I want to get to before we sign off. When you sold your business, you spent nine years or so building this thing into an awesome, awesome thing. And you built your brand and you built your image all around that. How was it for you when everything was done, the business was sold, and then life began post-sale? What was it like? Well... It's hard to say because I'm still with the company. I mean, I'm haven't uh, a lot hasn't cha- changed in what I'm doing. I'm doing more strategic things. I'm not doing as much day to day things. Okay. But it's all my. So you're to answer your question. It's all mindset. It's all, and I'll tell you where I'm struggling or what my struggle would be. So the things I have coming up is I go to the end of the year, and in January I'm taking a 30 day electronics free sabbatical. Mm-hmm. which I'm super excited about. So I'm telling you about vacation, taking that sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Th- this is going to be 30 days of no email, no social, nothing. I'm going completely off the grid. And I can't tell you how excited I am about that. And then February 1st, I start with sort of a new direction. I don't know what that direction is going to be. That's my challenge because I've, for the last 10 years, I've known exactly what I want, like, like your friend that reviews their goals every day, that's mm-hmm. me, right? <laughs> I'm going in there and I know exactly what I want to do every day. Well, I accomplished that. 
So now I'm going, I have to figure out, I'm giving myself enough cushion to say, I'm not going to worry about that right now until I get to February 1st. And then I'm going to kind of relook at things and what I want to do and where I can make the most impact on the world. And that, so that's, that's my biggest challenge right now is figuring out, well, where, where can Joe make the biggest impact in the world? I could honestly just keep doing what I'm doing. I could, I do speaking and writing and write more books. I got a whole book tour coming up on killing marketing. That's fine. But I have a feeling that's not going to be enough or I'm going to want to do something else. And I've got to find that. And so my whole, all my goals that I review, I'll, all, they'll all change. So it's, it's a weird place to be in right now. Mm-hmm. And I, right now I'm in that matrix purgatory, purgatory slash whatever <laughs> area. And, and I'm trying to figure that out. So any guidance you have or your listeners have, that's, that's where I'm at right now to figure out what I'm going to do. What are you going to be doing during those 30 days on your sabbatical? Well, right now, uh, we are putting together, my wife and I are putting together a 30 day, um, list of fun or whatever. And we're going to do something different that we haven't every day that we haven't done before. Nice. We're going to go, go to a certain place. We're going to do something that's, that we've never done and, uh, and just try to experience things we never had the opportunity to experience. Cause my, my wife was co-owner in the business as well. So we were both working like crazy and now we have the opportunity to get up and, you know, not, not necessarily worry, worry about the business. We can worry about the kids and, or maybe not worry about, but, but do things that we've never had the chance to do. Yeah. So that's, that's every day. And so that will be a print printed out calendar, uh, not electronic <laughs> where we will write down what we will do every day. And we're going to try to, so yeah, I guess I'll have to talk to you in February and I'll let you know how that went. Cause I have no idea. It just sounds like fun. Yeah. We should do a follow up episode to see. There you go. Like what the heck did you do, Joe? <laughs> did you keep your promise? So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping to do. Where's Joe now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Joe, we're going to sign off there. I have to give you such a huge thank you for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and your wisdom with us. We really appreciate your time and all that you shared with us. So thank you very much, Joe. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Anytime. Hopefully we can talk it again. Talk yeah. again. Yeah, definitely. And oh, one more thing. If the listeners want to reach out to you and learn more about you, where's the best place they could do that at? Oh, sure, sure. Like all the books and speaking and everything is on joepolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I. And then like, if you actually want to talk to me <laughs> and interact with me, the best way to do it is on Twitter. And that's at Joe Polizzi. Perfect. And listeners, we're going to sign off there. Thank you guys for joining us once again. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.